When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, September 28th, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington. It's TG Tuesday. It's fun to say those words again. I'm joined today once again by Tony Greer. Before we get to Tony, let's give a quick market update. Let me give it to you short and sweet. Uh, risk off in U.S. equities. Tech, the big loser. Energy, the only thing on the equity side catching a bid right now. And rates, are rising. Let's take a little bit more detailed look at that. Uh, some numbers here on U.S. equity indices off for the day. S&P 500 off 2% off 90 points down to 4,352, 4,352 on the S&P 500. NASDAQ looks like the big loser of the major equity indexes today off 2.83%, settling at the end of the day here at 14,546, losing the 15,000 handle there. Uh, Also important to point out, rates rising, U.S. 10-year Treasury at looks like 5.44% right now. That's up basically uh, 20, call it 25 basis points over the last two weeks. Great market set up to call in Tony Greer on. Tony, welcome back. Slash Bennington, it's great to see you again on the other end of the uh, camera today, my man. How's everything? Uh, it's going great, man. I've been uh, I've been at conferences back to back. Been at Salt, been at Mainnet, uh, out there. I've been basically Tony out in crypto land. Tell me, what have I missed the last couple of weeks? What's the big picture setup? The big picture overview for what you see right now? So you want a little review, do you? Yes, please. All right. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we started with this newfound approach with the S&P backing off very slowly to the 500 day moving average, which is something we haven't seen, right, where we usually have been steep spikes down and quick recoveries. Right. So now all of a sudden we're working our way from the highs back to the 50 day moving average. The Evergrande story, the China property default waiting to happen is looming in the background. You know, it's one of those things that you hear about and you look at the tape and you say, well, it doesn't really, it's not really reflected in the tape. Nobody really cares. And then next thing you know, you know, it's that weekend trade and everybody's talking about Evergrande and what the blow up could mean, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you've got a risk off event coming, a VIX spike coming, um, we finally break the 50-day moving average, and now for the first time during this S&P recovery from the March lockdown lows, we are trading the 100-day moving average before anybody knows it, right? So this is we finally get the you know the pin pop and the relief of the spill that we kind of the market has been sensing that tension. The VIX trades up to 25 in a big two-day flurry and back into the teens. Um, you know the traders in the U.S. are ingrained with that buy the F and dip mentality. You know, they see the inflation stories happening with their own eyes, you know, in there. They've got that in their quiver. So they come in to buy the dip heading into last week's FOMC meeting. 
right? And the FOMC meeting, you know, there's very little said. The bottom line to me, you know, there really wasn't anything that you could really hang your hat on. The, the news, the headlines are calling it a little bit more of a hawkish meeting. Rates have certainly popped since then. But, you know, obviously what happens is usually when they're talking feds are on the TV, the markets are showing that we approve of how they are handling this situation. So literally in and around the FOMC last week, the F, uh, the S&P is just picking up speed and recovering all the losses that it, you know, gave up to the Evergrande story. Um, right. You know, this time though, it's being led very conspicuously by energy, right? We've got a serious situation underneath the energy hood um, right now, which is describing sort of the rotation that you see today. So the media wants you to believe that this is market tension due to the debt ceiling. That is not even close to the story. This is the 4,000th bout with the debt ceiling. Let me tell you how this ends. They raise it. Okay, that market knows that the market remembers that. And the market, though, is concerned about the move in 10 year yields from one and a quarter to 150, as you astutely pointed out in our pre-market meeting there, um, you know, in five days. That's a little bit of a market shock um, that is responding to the three sigma rally in two year yields yesterday, going from 0.25, 25 basis points to 30 basis points in a matter of two days. Right. That's a shock to the Treasury market. So, um, you know, today we've got the kind of response to that really reading through in the markets. Sorry about that. We have got a, um, you know, everything on the bottom of my screen right now is technology as to be expected. What do we see here? Software, social media, um, cybersecurity, biotech, bank, the fan complex is off 3%. Um, you know, literally everything that is related to that strong technology trade weak energy or basic materials trade, excuse me, is, has reversed, right? So now tech is going to be on the way down with the rise in rates. Under the energy hood, what have we got? Um, kind of all hell is breaking loose, was fair to say, as to quote Tyler Durden on Zero Hedge um, in the energy sector. Um, and we can go into that on many points. Do you have any one of the ones that you want to start with? Boy, there's so much there to talk about, Tony. I probably should have also so mentioned, you alluded to the VIX. Uh, VIX up uh, considerably today, uh, over 23. It looks like it started the day uh, under uh, about 19. So, pretty significant move there on the VIX as well. Uh, but I'm really curious to hear you talk more about energy. Let's give the give the 50,000-foot overview on where we are. We've talked about this story. We've covered it uh, over the last uh, six, 12 months pretty extensively. Obviously, some changes happening, some moves uh, that are anti-direct in terms of what's happening in the rest of the market. What do you make of it? What's happening and why? Great questions. Okay, so so what is happening? Let's start with uh, essentially a crisis in the UK, a flat-out crisis. There's a gasoline shortage. Vendors, i.e. gas stations, are rationing gas sales. What is rationing may people do psychologically? Try to stock up in advance. What does that cause? Lines down the block at the rationing gas stations makes for a great photo op for the inflation trade, right? This is an inflationary subsector of the energy markets right now that's having a problem. So everybody looks at their local situation and says, wow, we have kind of a heading towards a storage issue. You know, we still have this growing demand that is bigger than the market is positioned for. We still have this um Deleting supply below the five-year moving averages now at Cushing and, and, and WTI, 
And that could happen to us. You know, what if there's a shortage here as gasoline prices have, you know, nearly doubled since the Biden administration um, took office? So everybody starts getting that sentimental flywheel going that's related to shortages. And the tape starts reflecting that, right? The spreads tighten up. Everybody grabs as much front month commodity as they can. The curve steepens and up again. And, you know, then you have on cue, we come in Monday morning and the astute analysts at the Goldman Sachs have raised their price targets in Brent for the same supply story that I supply demand story that I just told you. In a nutshell, more supply, excuse me, better demand coming out of this Delta variant that didn't slow the world down too much into, um, you know, again, shrinking supplies. Why do we have supply shrinking? In the UK, we've got a trucker, 100,000 trucker shortage delivering the gasoline, whether they don't want to get the jab, whether there's a labor dispute, whether there's, um, you know, an inside story that I don't know about. That's the problem over there. Over here, you've got, you know, analysts raising prices saying, you know, this is going to become a problem. Well, it's going to raise our Brent targets. By the way, we're going to raise our WTI targets. By the way, in case you didn't notice, um, UK natural gas is trading 5x the type, the price that local natural gas is. So we're going to go ahead and raise those targets too, right? And so now the street comes in and, and sort of relegs into a higher price deck and everything starts going. The Trafigura CEO comes on Bloomberg. The Vital CEO comes on Bloomberg. What do they say? We see nothing but higher prices, right? Where's the disconnect? Um, let me see. Let me quote Bostic from the Federal Reserve. Inflation expectations remain reasonably well anchored. Let me quote Jerome Powell uh, from 1038 this morning. Um, he still ex expects higher inflation to abate. So maybe he knows of a massive amount of crude oil supply or natural gas supply that's going to come on the markets that I don't know about. But, you know, this positive feedback loop in energy has got fossil fuels running into natural gas, you know, oil running into natural gas, running into coal rallying, running into uranium rallying as the next pivot to what do we do if we can't get natural gas uh, yeah. for the utilities to provide power. So, you know, as this starts to hit home, it really weighs on sentiment in the markets. And you've got now the we're hitting escape velocity in the energy trade while the tape is adjusting to higher yields and definitely weaker performing technology as it looks like the market is finally saying, okay, bond market traders, we're not going with the Fed's transitory statement because we see this that's going on. We're going with more sustainable inflation, the kind that Tudor Jones and the kind that several other specialists told us about months ago. So, you know, the tape is reflecting that, you know, it's a little bit of a tailspin into today's S&P sell-off, um, you know, which is simply led by, let me see, what's the worst performing stock on the loser board? Don't tell me it's going to be Google. Yeah, close enough. It's Google with a three sigma pullback. When the biggest stocks in the market pull back tremendous and large magnitudes, the indices get marked a lot lower. It's very simple, right? We know the five biggest stocks are the biggest chunk of the market, and when they go down, the tape goes down. So what I expect is for the tape to stabilize, for yields to keep going higher and giving a green light to the stock market, which is saying inflation in the news, inflation in the narrative, in the commodity story, inflation in the bond market, we've got to buy stocks so we can stay in front of this if we can as hedges. So that's what I'm seeing uh, happen. Ash, that is my story, and I'm sticking to it.
Uh, you know, Tony, that is so brilliantly said. You've covered uh, most of the things that I've been thinking about here uh, over the last weeks and months. That's really the big meta narratives all compressed into one. We should go ahead. The only way to do it. Yeah. You know, you got You have to try to consider everything and weigh everything. And uh, that's just my own, you know, potentially artistic interpretation of it. You know, it's really not science at this point. It's kind of uh, an artistic brushstroke of seeing what's going on. But, you know, in my corner of my eye here, I see, you know, the high yield markets under stress again. And to me, that's reflective of, you know, a lot of headlines that I saw floating on Twitter about smart guys saying, you know, there's going to be more than one Evergrande. Right. So we've got that cockroach theory now being applied to China, reflecting in the tape, you know, a little bit of risk off. And whether or not it continues, I'm not sure yet, but I still lean that we're in a very much a secular bull market and the secular bull market in stocks and the Evergrande in the end story is going to be one that we're going to look back at that turns into, yeah, that was a good buying opportunity. And whether it's, you know, within 100 S&P points or 200 S&P points from here, I think it's going to turn out to be a buying opportunity. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Yeah. You know, we all have screens and screens of data we look at, but it's the narrative, Tony, that's so important. And you gave it to us so succinctly right there. Uh, I should point out that I believe Jay Powell this morning said prices higher uh, for the for the near term. And then again, re, uh, recapitulating the narrative that it's going to be transitory. Tony, I have to throw something to you. And talking about this idea of narrative versus data, a couple of important points. First of all, I'm curious about, to, to a certain extent, some of the uh, oil crunch stories here. I wonder if it's something intergenerational. Guys, you're your age, my age, we remember being little kids very distinctly sitting in those damned gas lines during the Carter administration when we were very young, uh, you know, checking to see if your plate ended in an even number or an odd number. There's something visceral about it uh, that those of us who were there remember, never forget, and are always a little bit concerned about potential uh, for uh, a mismatch in supply and demand. Do you see any sign that that type of scenario is, uh, is something that could potentially happen in terms of shortages here in the U.S. It must be handicapped at this point. It, it has to be right. Just given looking over across the pond at you know what's going on on the ESG models that have been a little bit more strictly implemented over there than they have over here. You know, with the European politics being already you know a few steps ahead of us in terms of you know trying to go for the emissions and energy cutdowns, which is now raising the price of petrol over there. Um, you know, kind of like we have going on in California over here, where we're dealing with $7 at the pump or nearly $7 at the pump already. So that inflation is already a little bit ahead of us. And then when you look at the technicals and fundamentals underneath the crude oil market and you watch inventories tick lower and tick lower and tick lower and tick lower every week, you say, well, I know how this ends unless that changes. And if that doesn't change, then that is going to be outside our window. And by that, I'm talking about the lines for gasoline, the necessary rationing. Um, I don't know if we're that close to a crisis situation. You know, I, I more fear um, a power 
um, type of shortage here because God knows what could happen to the price of natural gas. We've already seen the Texas rolling blackout, or the California rolling blackout situation, the Texas blackout that we had. Um, I guess it was, geez, I, I can't even put it into time context. It had to be a year ago or so. Maybe it was last summer, uh, some, last summer, uh, last fall. But I think you know, it was winter. It was a storm, right? It was a storm. Oh, was it a winter storm? Yeah, that they hadn't seen that so, much rain. And forgive me for forgetting the details. Yeah. So much news going through my brain so right now that I can't put it together. Um, but, you know, that's kind of a preview of what happens when you start relying on alternative sources of energy rather than the, you know, distinct power of fossil fuels. And so the more we go toward the ESG clampdown the fad at a faster speed, the more likely you have to start um, preparing for that. And, you know, I think that you have to start worrying about the next shortage being, you know, the fact that you wake up one morning and we have a couple of days with no power due to some kind of a weather storm or something like that. And that kind of eventually creeping to your neighborhood. You know, nobody knows how weather is going to affect anything, but, you know, it, it, it makes sense to prepare for things like that, I think. Yeah. Tony, I'll tell you a secret. Today, I'm technically on vacation. When they told me you're going to be on the show, I came back and I couldn't be happier that I did. You're the best. It's so good to see you on the other end of the line. It was nice to speak with Maggie, I have to say, but I feel much more anchored with you, Slash. Yeah, and Maggie is terrific. I have one more question that I wanted to ask you, and this is something that's been sort of bouncing around my head for the past four to six weeks now, and I wanted to get this one out to you because you're the perfect guy to answer it. One of the strange things that I've observed happening here over the last, as I said, month and a half, maybe two months, uh, is that my friends who are in the business world, I'm not talking about financial reporters, not talking about hedge fund managers, I'm talking about small business owners, people who own bars, people who own construction businesses, people who are involved in various things, they all keep saying to me, you know, there's something happening here. There's something happening with supply chains. They tell me things like, I got more work than I can do because I can't get the parts in. People in the bar and the restaurant business tell me, we got to close at 11 o'clock because I can't find the guys and gals to work in the back of the house. I get this question over and over again. And look, if you look at uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Bloomberg, you'll see stories about this, right? But they're very academic and kind of theoretical, and we're looking into this. The people who I talk to on the ground, actual small business owners, are talking to me and saying, where the hell are you, you fancy people and your friends over at Real Vision? Why aren't we talking about this? Because something is really happening. It's this weird disconnect that I see between the Wall Street Journal and Main Street. I'm curious what you're thinking. Yeah, you could do you could do a great Real Vision entire hour long piece on you know on the ground actual shortages you know yeah. that actually touch your life. You know, I just had. Um, I, I just took some cars in to get re-registered, et cetera, et cetera. And the mechanic who's my friend is like, you know, take a care of these babies, man. You know, I can't get parts for anything, you know, so whatever you do, he's right. like, I'm just saying, just keep it in mind. Right. And you, you, you use that, right. And you use that into weigh your decision-making Does somebody want to borrow your truck to yet. Yeah, no, forget that. You know, like, you know, you just start saying like, you know, let me just make sure that I'm taking care of this machinery here because it becomes more precious as inflation creeps in because you need to rely on those things more. So there's one example. And then the example right. that you just spoke to about restaurants, same exact thing. You know, it used to be that restaurants were just closed on Monday night, right? They had right. big Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights at the bar and then the restaurant, everything was full. You got to give the workers a day off, a, a night when nobody's going out. Monday nights we close. Now I drive around and some of the local restaurants are closed on Monday and Tuesday nights. And I find out when I see the owner, what's up with that? And he's like, I can't get anybody to work. I just got to push him to the end of the week. You know, so it's like, 
the labor shortages are creeping into the story. And hopefully that won't be sustainable. But politically, you know, it looks like something to me, and without getting too political, I should say, that just started rather than is ending. Right. They're trying to jam through another stimulus bill. They'll shape it around. And no matter what, there'll be another check that goes out. And then, you know, we'll deal with the next crisis with another stimulus bill. And then we're going to deal with the climate change crisis from the balance sheet. We're going to deal with racial inequality from the balance sheet. We're going to cure cancer eventually, I suppose, from the balance sheet. You know, it just seems like if you're going with the narratives and the trends, you know, you got to consider which ones are going to be around through whatever is going on on the television. Yeah, some strange politics happening in Washington as well, we should say. Uh, talk about this maybe another day. But the infrastructure bill looks like progressives in the Democratic Party are going to be voting against it, defying Democratic leadership. Uh, this is an interesting story because things not shaping up in terms of the way you would expect them to, uh, in terms of party discipline, party loyalty, something to watch, particularly its implications on the fiscal side uh, for what is going to be coming for uh, budget spending uh, and that uh, whole constellation of activities around fiscal, uh, the fiscal side of the equation. I should say we should probably jump in as we talk about this recovery. A great clip with Rao Pal and Alex Gurevich. Uh, this is on Rao's new show, The Journeyman. Let's take a look at this clip. So you're talking about 2004, which I, you know, I'm I share that belief. Whether it's 2004 or 2003, yeah, it feels like something around that period. What I've tended to notice at early stage recovery. We tend to have a slowdown for a period of time because people over-extrapolate growth. What do you think about that? Is that on the cards this time around as well, where yields fall a bit, You know, it's a bit more risk off in certain environments before we gain full traction? How are you thinking about well, that? Well, the interesting thing that in 2000, uh, with the last cycle, there was a double deep bottom economy in the stock market because the, it hit actually the bottom, sort of, depending on how we look at it, in 2002. So even though 2001 was like the first solo, but then, and the rates hit the bottom in 2002, if not 2003, like I don't remember when exactly, I think maybe spring 2003 when we had a big flattening rally. And then it kind of very similar to what we had in 2000, middle of just like towards the end of 2020. And then it was a big steepening sell-off in the summer to fall of 2003. Another interesting characteristic that aligns those things is the precious metal behavior, precious metals were really depressed and just up to 2002, they started to rally in 2003. And then in 2004, they stalled for about a year in a pattern very similar to the current pattern. So that is what kind of puts me there. Well, there you have it, Raul and Alex Gurevich. Interesting, Al, Raul talking a little bit uh, about how early stage recoveries uh, have a tendency to slow down because people over extrapolate growth earlier on, and then there's a subsequent uh, slowdown that happens later in the cycle. Interesting points from Raul uh, and Alex. Tony, I want to jump in. It looks like we've got a lot of questions coming up uh, from the exchange uh, here at Real Vision, uh, from Twitter, uh, and also from YouTube. So I just want to jump in and start hitting these. What do you say, Tony? Go, man. Go. All right. This one comes from Zach M. Is the bond sell-off coming from China? Are they trying to raise USD to bail out Evergrande? Hmm. I don't, I don't know. I try not. Yeah. You know, it, it could be one of the factors, you know, I, I'm, I'm as a commodity guy that's been tracking the commodity trade and seeing it, you know, go vertical right in front of my nose and the bond market respond in kind to that. 
that's leading me to believe that that is what's driving it. I'm sure there's probably a political driver that it has something to do with Evergrande, maybe something to do with China trying to manipulate that story. I would not say that that's the root cause, given all of the evidence-based inflation that you see around you. That's fair. Yeah. Here's one that comes to us from Tunkar. Uh, nice short question. Will the dollar strengthen by the end of the year, and will its value rise again following the year? We need to remind these guys that I don't have a crystal ball. I let the dollar do what the dollar is going to do, and then I try to let that guide my decision-making process. Now, I'm just—I will say—and I don't want to—I um, I don't want to um, be rude to um, tell me his name again. Tunkar. Tunkar at all. I want to position it in a way uh, for a trader. I, you know. It, for me, picking the direction of the dollar is is just a fool's errand lately, right? Mm -hmm. The dollar has been commodities have been strong when the dollar is weak. Commodities have been strong when the dollar is stronger. That's the trade that I want to lend my eyes to and my attention to. Now, the dollar getting stronger could pose a risk to the commodity trade, could pose a risk to the equity trade since there's so much exporting being done here in the U.S. So. Through 93.5 convincingly in the dollar index, that starts to change my mindset about what would happen as it gets to 95 to the commodity indices. And I've kind of been trading that way since the dollar is telegraphing that it's going higher. But I don't really have any, you know, I don't have a prognostication as to or target as to exactly where it's going to get by when. Through 93.5 in the dollar index, it has a good chance to accelerate. Um, and, you know, 93.75 last sale as we speak, trading the very high of the move. Looks like that move is happening. Looks like figure out what your pad would look like with the dollar index at 95, and at least what's susceptible to the risk of that happening. Yeah, well said. Important to understand what can be known and what cannot, I think, as well. Certainly, Tony. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Uh, here's another one that comes to us from Oliver M., also from the exchange. Question for Tony. Uh, with the slowdown in China and sky-high energy prices in the U.S. and Euroland, does it see demand for oil slowing due to the economic slowdown and price pushing people to drive less and use less gasoline? So he's effectively asking if this is a self-correcting cycle. Prices rise, you see a decline in economic activity, you see a decline and consumption because the price signals are higher. Well, it's really hard to tell when you know there's a little bit of a game of there's a little bit of a shell game going on at the moment in the within the energy story. You know, there is the U.S. kind of you know um, discouraging new investment in new building wells to get more gas out of the ground, right? To to comply with the new ESG mandates over here and across the pond in China, um, while they're trying to say that they are going to cut energy emissions and they say they're going to cut coal consumption, but they never do, they're also 
planning to dig $180 million worth of wells, uh, excuse me, $180 billion worth of wells over the next five years while U.S. producers are shutting in their wells. So it's hard for me. It's just hard to get an accurate picture on what's going to affect what when I can't even get an accurate accurate picture on what's going on, you know, with the right with within the within one narrative, right? So within the energy narrative, you've got the you know U.S. supplies constricting, China starting to expand their oil supply. You know, is that a, is that a transfer of fossil fuel power that's going on right before our eyes? You know, and then you've got this thing with the dollar where we don't want it to get too strong, but we don't want it to collapse either and lose reserve status. So there's a lot of gyrating going on. And my sense is that the dollar is going to come out of this with reserve status. The commodities are going to come out of this and continue to rally. And um, I'm not really sure how to play the political side other than to keep my eyes peeled. Tony, here's a question near and dear to my heart. It comes to us from Weepily, uh, and it's coming to us from YouTube. And the question is, Tony, are you still bullish on crypto, and will Bitcoin be a hedge against inflation? You know, I still am in terms of a tactical trading position. You know, I've got to abandon the trade below all the moving averages below 40K. It looks like it can slide quickly to 30K there. Do I still think that it's elbowing its way into the macro picture as a real inflation hedge? You know, performance says yes. You know, if you, if you snap the lens out about one year, you look at gold and gold is down 15% as one of the inflation hedge options. Uh, and you can look at Bitcoin, which is up 300, well, 280%, which is another one of the you know inflation options. So over the last year, since the Biden administration took over, to me, that's when the inflation caught fire um, due to some of those political shifts. And so when I look at the measures of inflation, I try to look at them on the same time frame. And yeah. cryptocurrency, no matter what, has done extraordinarily well in that time frame. And so, you know, at one point that logic may get blown apart, but as long as gold is lagging in negative neck territory and Bitcoin is up, you know, really in positive territory, um, you know, I have to say that I'm going to continue to think that we just withstood two shots across the bow, right? Gary Gensler, the SEC chair, just said that he doesn't see cryptocurrencies all surviving. Um, China just said that they're making cryptocurrency transactions illegal. That's a little bit of a kick in the ass. So, you know, um, as long as we continue to live through those headlines and the reason for owning Bitcoin is still, no, 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 we don't care about those headlines, right? Those are normie headlines, they'll call them. They'll, you know, those are, you know, fiat headlines. Don't worry, we don't worry about those. We're in this thing to be in this thing as an option. That's something to consider. And as long as that mentality holds, I think Bitcoin stays alive. You know, there's going to be some volatility, but it's a trade that I'm going to try to stay in with everything I got. And if I get booted out of it, I'm going to get back in it. And it's 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 a it's definitely something that's going to be with us. I think we've proven that. Yeah, talking about returns across different time horizons here, this is pretty striking as a measure of volatility. Uh, one month return on Bitcoin minus fourteen percent. Year to date return on Bitcoin plus forty four percent. 12 months, bear in mind, we're in September, 12-month return, 285%, minus 35% off its 52-week high. That's a volatile asset class, but one that is moving asymmetrically to the upside, historically at least, over the last 12 months. Absolutely. And it looks like you could almost see signs again of money going into Bitcoin and out of gold at the same time on occasions, you know, and uh, if you're looking for that sort of thing. 
So I, I do believe that there is pr- plenty of a shift institutionally into that asset class, or if we can call it that. Yeah, really interesting correlations there historically, sometimes reversing. Fascinating thing to watch. Tony, I've got one other question for you on Bitcoin. And I know this definitely falls into the category of none of us have a crystal ball, but you've been watching markets for a long time. You've been listening to regulators. You've been listening to Fed chair. uh, You've been listening to heads of SEC. What do you think about some of the action that's coming out, particularly of the SEC with Gary Gensler, uh, the chair? Uh, What do you think? What do you make of it? uh, And how much of a headwind do you think it is? I wish I was smart enough to have uh, an opinion that's going to astound anyone. But my sense is you have to follow really closely what they say only because there's shutdown risk, right? Like they may say, you know, any transaction that we catch you participating in in cryptocurrency is going to, you know, be an illegal mark against you. You know, that that would be terrifying. And I feel like Bitcoin would still find a way to survive through that. Right. It's the the coin of freedom. It's the whole symbolic thing of, you know, getting off the system. Um, You know, Gensler is, uh, you know, you have to consider him. You know, he was the chairman of the Clinton campaign in 2016 when she ran for president. He is a D.C. insider swamp frog. Right. So you have to consider that. That's really like, you know, and I don't want to call him a swamp rat because he's a smaller guy than them. He's kind of a junior swamp rat, I think. And, uh, you know, it's very convenient how, you know, Elon Musk can go ahead and put, uh, uh, you know, on a Wikipedia page of, uh, I believe, a government employee and faces no penalty. And Gary Gensler can sit over there and say, yeah, we don't think cryptocurrencies are all going to survive and make calls about what he wants to prosecute, right? He can want to prosecute spoofing from the 1980s. So, you know, it's it's hard to tell what is going to come to Bitcoin, but what the insider's story or the, what the insider's angle towards Bitcoin is, meaning the big banks, what JP Morgan, et cetera, what they want to do or what they want to have happen to Bitcoin, I'm going to say that that's what Gary Gensler supports. Um, switching gears here a little bit, Tony, as we come to the end of this conversation, give us a sense of what you're going to be looking at going forward. What are the dials? What are the gauges that are going to be on your screen that you're going to be monitoring to see if the thesis you've just laid out here today is going to come true? Hang on, let me call one up. That's going to be the VIX index uh, to see where that shakes out today. You know, going out in the mid 20s again, that's going to give me signs of stress in the markets. And I feel like the Evergrande situation is going to be something we recover from. But as I battled back and forth with with bulls, that there might be one more, you know, stressful situation. And I'm a bull myself. So this might be me having this conversation with me and thinking that I'm talking to somebody else. But You know, I feel like the Evergrande story, certainly once things hit the tape, certainly might afford a VIX expansion into the 30s or or close to the 40s this time, where the New York high yield index gets marked down, you know, several days in a row and everybody panics a little bit in the stock market. And, you know, maybe we crack the 100 day moving average this time. Maybe we trade to the 200 day. But, you know, if you step back from the chart and draw a circle around this dip, I do believe that this is one that you want to be sticking bids in. You want to have your shopping list out. You want to be buying those natural gas stocks when they're down on the day and there's still hysteria on the tape and the curve is still steepening, right? That, that's a handoff that they're giving you, right? When those, when those stocks misprice like that. Um, as you can see today, XLE refuses to tick to negative territory, even though, you know, the S&P and FANG stocks are down, you know, uh, in a three sigma move lower. 
So we're seeing this rotation into commodities. I'm starting to pick my spots very carefully now, um, basis what I see in each sector and drill into the stocks that I want to really, really trade into the end of the year for a rally. And the sectors that I think are set up perfectly for a rally are obviously oil and gas. I think financials have been proving that in a higher rate environment, they are going to soar. And a lot of them go into this technically in really good shape. Um, I think the home builder sector is a secular bull from a fundamental standpoint. Every month over month, numbers are better. Um, every month over month, Lennar, DR Horton, the builders are all doing better. So you've got evidence-based investing on the long thesis of home builders, better earnings, more building going on. I think that's a sector to watch. And, you know, lastly, I guess I've got my eye on, um, you know, metals and mining for that last push during the, into the year. They were in the lead all year. They've been consolidating for a really long time now. Copper has been consolidating for months. Freeport McMoran for months. The metals and mining sector for months, which was one of the leading sectors on the year. And I think it's going to be a question of when, not if they break to the upside. And that is a trade that I have got a target painted on eight ways through Sunday on my desk to crush if it happens. So that's what I'm looking for, Ash. And um, I'm starting to sort of dial the lens in on really doing some sharpshooting into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I should say uh, XLE, of course, is the Energy Select Sector Spider Fund. Uh, and if you look at the uh, Select Sector website, only a bit of green on the board right there today, of course, is XLE everything down. Big loser of the day, XLK, uh, which is the Tech Select Sector Spider, off almost 3%, even more, I believe, uh, than the NASDAQ decline. Uh, boy, Tony, you talk about um, having this conversation with yourself. Tony Greer in conversation with Tony Greer is something I will tune into <laughs> 10 times out of 10. Oh, man, it gets nasty in my head over some of this stuff. You should hear it. But, um, you know, we work things out. We, we hug it out and we move on. <laughs> Tony, once again, always a pleasure. Great to see you again, Slash. Great to have the band back together. More importantly, cue some rock music as we segue out of this thing, will you, boys? Kill some, cue some rock music indeed. Tony, thanks for joining us. Thank you for watching. And thank you for your questions, everybody. Peace, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.